Okay, good morning. So our NREACH team has been working on some ways that uh, we can encourage and connect uh, during the social distancing. And so the next thing they wanna do is to make some videos. So we need your help with this this week. We want everybody, and it can be you or it can be you and the people in your household with you, make a short video just saying hi to the church and some word of encouragement. So it could be a scripture, it could be just a funny thing that you wanna to do to make everybody laugh, appropriate of course. Um, it could be whatever you want to, to encourage the body. And so we're gonna ask you to have those done by this Friday and email them to Manny and to Sean. And they're gonna put their email addresses in the chat today, as well as on the DNC Facebook page. So make a short video with you or with you and the people you live with, send it to Sean and Manny by this Friday, and they're going to show those at church next Sunday. So it'll be a really fun way to get to see each other and encourage each other. And then the second announcement is we're having a baby shower for the Robinsons, and it's going to be next Saturday. It's going to be from two to four, and it's a drive-by baby shower. So it'll be at their house at 1903 Misty Wood Lane, and you'll need to wear a mask or a face covering when you come by, and you'll come by, you want to enter the neighborhood from Notting, Nottingham Drive, I was going to say that wrong, from Nottingham Drive, and then they'll direct you where to um drop your gifts off and stuff like that so that we can maintain proper social distancing. And you're welcome to come um, and just say hi, like you don't have to bring a gift. So um, that's gonna be this Saturday, it's gonna be a lot of fun and we want you to join in. And again, details for that are gonna be on the Denton North Facebook page as well as in the newsletter, both of those places. So that's it, thanks. Excellent. So plan still to reconsider meeting uh, in about a month, uh, midway through June, for us to kind of think through where everyone else is at and guidance and where our society is at sort of in its phases of back to normal. So that's the plan for that. Until then, we will keep doing our Zoom stuff. We probably will start small groups uh, over the summer, beginning of June, invite our college students to those. We're going to have some changes. We've got some people leaving and doing different things. And so uh, we'll probably send out a survey here pretty quickly about small groups and see if there are anybody who uh, wouldn't mind stepping up to lead uh, one of those groups, because I'm sure we'll have some people that want to rotate off uh, as that some of them have been doing it for three or four years now. And the uh, small groups are pretty easy to lead for the most part. I mean, you know, it's adults, it's more facilitating. Uh, and uh, we, we can write all of your material for you. Uh, less CRI if you uh, choose that route uh, and or you can use material from uh, years past. So yeah, let us know, but uh, you will see a um, survey coming out here pretty soon so we can figure out who wants to lead some small group. Okay, and we meet all year, but uh, this summer will be the final sort of summer or final part of that year for the, the existing small groups. So they've been meeting for a year now, and the summer is just an opportunity for them to invite college students and to participate with a group that's already kind of uh, meshed together and, uh, you know, more or less likes and doesn't like each other at the same time. So, um, yeah, that's the plan for that. All right.
Okay, cool. Well, today it's going to be pretty discussion-based. Uh, sent out three articles for you to read. I did realize yesterday, of course, that those articles some of you could not access because uh, you still refuse to use Google Mail, which is I don't know why, uh, but that's you know that's fine. Uh, and so I posted them in links on the comment section. If you didn't get to read it, that's fine. Uh, you can read it this week if you choose to. And uh, I think they're excellent articles. And so we're just going to kind of go through each one and answer the questions that uh, were there and um, then kind of be done. So that's that's the plan. And then um, this is kind of just a follow-up, more practical ending, closing, finishing to our emotions series. So this one's on emotions in the workplace. And even if you don't have something from the articles, just generally talking about um, Growing and understanding your emotions at work, I think, is important. And then next week, I'll post a 45-minute, or excuse me, today, but for next week, I'll post a 45-minute podcast called Worship Part 1 from The Liturgist. I didn't really like Part 2, uh, but Part one's good. And we'll talk about emotions and worship. And then uh, we may um, do something between here and the end of June, one or two weeks, and then we'll start with the sermon series over the summer, which unless someone has a better idea is going to be Isaiah, Hope, and Tragedy. So talking through the full book of Isaiah and uh, just a little short summer series on uh, hope and dealing with tragedy. So, okay, cool, cool. So the first article was really not an article. It was kind of an introduction to uh, some of the organizational behavior and organizational psychology of the workplace. And um, in short, it talks about emotional intelligence, which is our ability to sort of read other people and manage and mature our own em uh, emotions in accordance with what the environment and what individuals call for. Some of us have heard that word before, some not. I think the most powerful um, uh, piece of that first research was talking about uh, you know, social acting and the idea of what kind of uh, how does your job allow you to sort of um, be who you are in terms of your emotional state at any given time? So the instance is it gave us is that like there's a lot of dissonance between uh, service industry workers who often, no matter what they're feeling, have to put on a happy face. <laughs> and let's say like, you know, trades workers like mechanics, welding folks, that's the people I'm around all the time, who can pretty much say to you whatever they feel like saying to you. And just that um, distance in emotions can often sometimes cause stress and anxiety in our workplace. But it had some other ideas and other thoughts. Um, the big one there was just sort of what did you find valuable from that very introductory um, piece on workplace emotions? So just jump on in there if you've got something to say. I'm going to try to screen share some, uh, you know, the article so you can see some of the images. We'll see how that goes. No thoughts because you didn't read it? No, Brad, so. I have one. Okay. Um, emotional labor was a new thing I learned this morning. <laughs> um, that it can cost you something to try and, you know, just act. And, oh, sorry. Yeah, emo that emotional labor section was really helpful. Just that it does come at a cost to uh, act a certain way. I've had a lot of service industry jobs, and so I totally remember that. Right. Feeling pretty exhausted at the end of a 12-hour shift or whatever. So, yeah, I thought that was really helpful, and I think that's something I'm going to take away and think about more. Yeah, one of the things I found interesting <clears throat> was kind of talking about, like, 
having your persona, um, especially like the service industry and stuff like that. I, um, yeah, I'm currently like, I teach kids, I'm a swim teacher and then I'm planning on being a teacher. And so thinking about like that and like being in this classroom all day and being with children and like, it was really good to think about like it talking about the labor of emotions and stuff like that. Um, and just how to make little pockets to, um, kind of rest or, um, surrender to God in those moments and stuff like that was really helpful. Um, thinking now, but also for the future. I really liked, um, the part where it talked about emotional intelligence and kind of outlined that, outlined that and those four sort of building blocks and the steps, like just the, the levels of growth for that. I think that lends a lot of insight for people into like, just why our relationships and difficult relationships difficult like why are relationships in general difficult and it's just because we have varying levels of emotional intelligence and we're not all we're not always operating in that like top block of relationship management yeah so the block thing was just the idea that you start with the self-awareness like can you even really determine where your emotions are at and then can you express that effectively and self-management and then are you aware of other people's emotions and the environment? And then are you able to actually navigate your and their emotions sort of in the moment? Um, so that's where that building block thing that I'm sharing on the screen comes from. Um, I really liked the emotional labor section um, because it's something that I, I've been thinking about a lot, especially in friendships where like you're getting to know somebody um, it's easy to put on kind of like surface um, acting. And for me, usually when I come out of those kind of um, conversations, really, really burnt out or tired. Um, and then getting back into it, like I think I like rethink of like how tiring it was initially. Uh, but then when I look back to how like the friendships have grown, I can see how um, that that my personality has changed or like my emotions have changed from surface acting to like genuine acting where like I'm able to express my my real emotion to whoever I'm friends with so yeah yeah I think this one by itself can be very important for recognizing where your job is at uh, and how hard it is at your job to to do this emotional labor thing just to real quick explain the image uh, you know, if someone has a person, you know, their important personality is sort of at the core of this. The furthest outside of their personality is going to be surface acting where you're kind of forced um, to put on a smile, um, respond to people, what they're saying, even though you may not feel at all uh, any kind of empathy for what they're saying. You sort of feign it, you know. Deep acting allows you to um, at least attempt to, in the, in the setting, kind of respond to them. Um, it's, uh, you know, um, able to like feel what they're feeling and then be able to communicate your own feelings. And then genuine acting is more or less being able to, um, you know, kind of be yourself and, um, and, and not act really at all, even though it's calling it kind of acting. And so thinking about your own job, that's can, can be a very helpful, like I know, for instance, people in the service industry, particularly who are having to make phone calls, uh, all day. It's one of the hardest things for us to do because people are generally so mad <laughs> when they have to call in. 
And, um, and I'm, I'm pretty terrible at this, uh, being kind because there's a, another aspect of this to recognize when you're dealing with people in the service industry or people who are having to do surface acting all day and you project onto them your negative emotions, you're just doing what makes their job so difficult. And of course, it's hypocritical because often, you know, you may not have to do that. And if you do have to do it, you should be even more sensitive, kind of like the server who actually tips well because they know what, you know, um, how not getting a good tip feels. So this one is pretty, pretty helpful, I think, for both our own kind of positions and then how to treat other people in the, in the workplace. Any others on this, uh, this article? Yeah, I thought um, where it talked about company perks and promotions can contribute to a person's happiness at work, but satisfaction is not simply outside in. Um, it comes from the inside in and the small emotional experiences at work over time. Um, one of the things that's been hard after eight weeks of working at home is even though I'm in IT, I love interacting with people. And so not being able to be in the office and interacting, it, it does definitely become more impersonal and more, you know, outside in because I know I'm going to get a paycheck. So, you know, uh, Google meetings or Zoom meetings are just not quite the same. But, you know, this week I had a, a chat from someone who said, you know, I really appreciate having you here on this earth and, and us working together in this job. And just that little thing just makes such a difference, uh, independent of the paycheck or the bonus or the whatever. And and it's so true. It, it definitely is inside in. So those experiences and really connecting with people make a difference. I really like how the article overall uh, did a really good job of like sort of explaining what um, this like emotional burnout is and the different layers of uh, acting that we go through because I think it's so easy like to be surface acting and not know that you're doing it for so long and then get really tired and not like fully understand why am I feeling this way? Why is this so hard? It shouldn't be hard. Um, but I think this article does a good job at explaining being like, no, this is really hard. This is taxing and here are things to help you. And so I really liked that it gave name to a lot of feelings in that way. Yeah, and I think there's an aspect of this that has to do not just with the job you're in, but also like how long you've been in the industry or how long you've been with the company. Because certainly starting off, you're probably going to be surface acting most of the time until you figure out whether it's even allowed uh, for you to be more who you are. We watched a horror movie the other day. It was really good. It was about a cult. And uh, one of the, the ladies who was on the phone, one of the bosses tried to get her to stay late and the employee just kind of told her off. So she went to the new girl right in front of her and that new girl agreed to do it. But she looked back and was like, how did you tell the boss that? She's like, you just don't understand. This is who I am. This is the environment I'm in. Not that I'm like suggesting that's a good way to do it, but short example of how if you're new to a job or even new in the work world, it's tough for you to sometimes figure out uh, that. Any final thoughts before we move on? Yeah, I've got some, Brad. Yeah. Um, just the, the last couple of weeks have been interesting with the whole you know, working from home, uh, working with folks either on the phone or chat. Uh, our CEO sent uh, an article very similar to this, dealing with the emotional uh, impacts that we're feeling with this kind of, uh, in this industry of dealing with customers. And 
you know, the anonymity that's involved sometimes in chat, uh, or even that empowerment that customers will have on the phone because of that anonymity that they can be so a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more, you know, angry for lack of a better description. Uh, you know, the worst case was we had an individual uh, basically wish on one of our chat agents that they would catch COVID-19 and die. So it's, you know, it's very real, you know, the emotional struggles that are there. I think I fall more into the genuine acting just by virtue of being with the company 30 years. So uh, being on the phone, working with uh, various customers and being able to maybe stop some things and help turn that, turn them off, you know, back around to where they should be or walking them off the ledge for lack of a better description. Um, you know, so this, this was real helpful for me just yeah. by virtue of kind of helping me identify where am I in all of this. Uh, sure. So, yeah. Great. I've only like heard of emotional intelligence in like maybe the last year and a half or so. Um, I kind of wish I'd heard about it sooner because it, it seemed to add some scientific uh, esque to something that's so subjective and obviously our feelings are so hard to really scienceify. That's a word. But I felt like it was really helpful. I wish I'd learned about it sooner just because I think it would have been really helpful for my transition out of like college ministry and focus kind of stuff into like the workplace. Um, but also just as a human being, um, living and working around like human beings and ministering with them. I just feel like it's so helpful. There's a lot of good, like, you know, articles or books on this kind of stuff. But I think it's most encouraging that there can be a word and a topic and a study about this kind of stuff that we can all improve. Um, it's not, nothing's like set in stone. It's not like a personality test where this is who you are, but it's like, Hey, let's all learn to, to understand our own emotions better and then hopefully be able to empathize better and communicate about them better. But I, I think it's really helpful. Help me just kind of get some level of objectivity to my own emotions and others just to have some of these charts and articles and, and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Feel like especially for the transition into the workplace kind of stuff, really, really helpful for me. Yeah. I mean, I only learned it 10 years ago, so no, no big deal. Uh, still not very good at it though, actually at all. Um, but actually one of the things that's really important about understanding the workplace is we often don't hire uh, people based on soft skills like emotional intelligence. We often hire them based on skills and that, that requires, um, it's just tricky, right? This is kind of a theme I think in a lot of superhero movies too, uh, is that people don't have much relationship management. They just have like a power or a skill. Can and I so that thought, Brad? Someone's phone's on or someone's sound is on. Oh, yeah. Can you what? hear me? Who is this? Oh, I was just saying that I, it's Vianette. As you were talking about oh. that and the thought that I was going to have, I think it went really well with it. So I'm going to interrupt you. Go um, but a lot of the healthcare recruiters that we work with at TWU are really encouraging because they do hire um, healthcare workers based on emotional intelligence. Because when they're all graduating with the same technical skills, then what's going to make the difference between a good healthcare worker and someone who's not is someone who has that emotional intelligence. And a lot of what they say is they really like to see customer service and that emotional labor on resumes and they want to hear it in um, interviews because if you can be nice to the hundredth customer at the end of a really long shift, then you're going to have the patient here to work with people that are really suffering or that are going through really hard things. So I've actually been really encouraged at work just hearing how 
they are looking for emotional intelligence and not just the technical skills. Because ideally, if you're graduating from a program, you're all going to have the same technical skills. Right. And um, I think uh, the um, kind of the emotional intelligence piece from uh, the standpoint of being qualified for a job is a little bit tricky. One, in that to talk about a side issue altogether, traditionally we have thought of women as being more emotionally intelligent and men less so. And so it's actually served against women when their references and things are full of like uh, emotional intelligence types qualities, but not actually technical qualities. And so hopefully some of that's sort of changing and turning around. Um, but on the other end, in our walk with uh, in discipleship, these are the kinds of traits that we're learning to do because God wants us to learn how to do them. And therefore, it's often why we see a lot of our particularly focused kids getting hired in mass at like one company <laughs> because they have not only good work ethic and decent skills, but they have quite a bit of emotional intelligence to deal with uh, some of the issues that other people wouldn't. And so this is kind of a cool, I think, aspect of how God works in the world um, that he teaches us some of this stuff kind of ahead of where we would naturally get it or develop it. So we're going to move on. Uh, to the uh, refocused vocation one here. And this was a long article. I realize it was really, really good, though, if you haven't uh, had a chance to read it yet. Um, probably the most important idea out of it is kind of charting the history of the contemplative versus the active life and how monks in particular kind of early on sort of... Um, emphasized and overvalued the contemplative life. And by the contemplative life, we're talking about sort of just me and God doing spiritual things, um, you know, learning, reading the word, um, meditating, uh, maybe sometimes, you know, some of what the scripture says about interacting with other people, almsgiving and things like that, but not so much for the sake of other people as much as for the sake of communion with God versus the sort of administrative life of, you could call it ministry, but you could just call it, you know, making ends meet and, uh, and how it took, um, you know, a couple hundred years for people to look back at that way of living in the early church fathers and realize that was very one-sided and really not very helpful for the development of uh, a full person, that it was both the contemplative life and the active life interacting with each other that was, um, you know, what God intended and what would cause uh, the most kinds of, of human health and thriving. And so I think in some ways we have this same mentality today. It's slightly different because what we're ultimately saying is the active life of ministry is more, you know, fulfilling and important than the active life of non-ministry. And he talks a little bit about the secular, um, you know, spiritual divide there. But I still think we can kind of, um, you know, apply it to um, to this current kind of state we're in and uh, and stage we're in. So yeah. So the question, I mean, you know, you can talk about any of the really good ideas you had, but the major question was sort of how do you see uh, your contemplating life and your active life uh, influencing one another? Probably particularly your active life, um, you know, influencing your contemplative life because I think sometimes we tend to think it only goes one way: contemplative going to active, uh, and and not vice versa. So. Yeah, what do you think? No one read this one. It was too long. And I have something I'll share. Um, so I 
work at a um, rape crisis center and I do community education for them. So I do a lot of like trainings and presentations on violence prevention, but I also do a lot of educating on like just dynamics of sexual assault and child sexual abuse and some of the, um, what some of the legal processes are in response to that and law enforcement responses to that. And um, it's all very much focused on like, how do we prevent violence? How do we be, be better at responding to sexual violence? But you can't really talk about that without highlighting all the ways that those systems have really fallen short in protecting and supporting victims of sexual violence. Um, and so I think that active life for me and exploring a lot of those injustices um, has spilled into and impacted some of my contemplative life in terms of understanding how does what does God's justice really look like versus the justice we can accomplish here through any sort of court system, even the most perfect of court systems and um, judicial systems and most perfect of police officers, like just the, I don't know, just a better understanding of what does God see as justice and how is it different than what we see as justice and um, what just these bigger themes of like evil and, and sin versus God's like holiness and his kingdom that is kind of coming, but not yet. And we're sort of in the middle of it. So it's been a, like a back and forth for me. They've both really highlighted each other, but it's been an interesting exploration. I may have something as well. It's not as cool as Chelsea's story, but um, it's probably not Tony, but that's okay. Where I where I worked last year as an intern, so I work in uh, I think like a few others uh, at our church. I work uh, in the in the tech industry, and often there's questions about how that relates to you know how impactful it can be and meaningful it can be in in your life and other people's lives, other people's lives. Um, but last year. Towards the end of my internship, I think one of my I had some conflict with one of my supervisors. Um, a lot of just work politics. He said, he said, she said, kind of uh, things that were being passed around around my work and things like that. But and I had this choice of whether I wanted to go back to that company this year. I had the choice to go somewhere else or not. But um, it became important. Actually, I was talking to my dad about it. It became important to recognize that it's not just a job with just a paycheck, uh, the, the daily work of going and uh, facilitating that relationship with him and even approaching him and saying, hey, um, there was this kind of issue that we had last year. Get, let's give our working relationship a, a second chance um, at, at, at seeing these things. I think he was in the he was in the wrong for the most part. But even then, there's this chance to, uh, and there was other supervisors that were willing to, to back me up. But there was, uh, there was this, I had this opportunity to, I could use that as a scapegoat and then just, just leave, uh, leave the place. Um, or uh, use that opportunity to foster a relationship with my supervisor and uh, get for him to see uh, that there's more to, than just a, a working environment and a supervisor and me an employee. And what that does is I, I didn't necessarily contemplate before I went into that job and then thought about it that way. But those experiences then caused me to contemplate as to the nature of my relationship with my supervisor and how it can, it can be more than just um, corporate politics or 
um, him being my supervisor and that's just the way he is. We are, there's this um, aspect of we can establish a meaningful relationship um, even though we are in this environment where it's very much driven by just work politics. And uh, yeah, I think it, it causes me to think about the relationship that I have with other coworkers there, uh, whether they're above me as far as uh, corporate world is concerned, like a supervisor or boss, or whether they're a peer, um, a coworker. And to think about the nature of the relationship I have with them. Um, yeah, again, not cool as Chelsea's story, but uh, that's my share. I'll stop it, Tony. I. Stop it. Don't put yourself down. <laughs> I know. Joyce is a big fan of your work, by the way. You've got a fan girl here. Yeah. Oh, my God, Joyce! <laughs> okay, okay. I, I am not great. I just want to say it is way easy yeah. to find correlations between the these two things when you work at a job like mine. I really admire your answer, Tony. I think it was very good. I'm not patronizing you. I love you, Joyce. Well, let me, let me just mention something, and um, I've, I've kind of taught this for a while, mostly gotten it from a variety of different sources, but when I think about work, I think about our, our tendency to focus on sort of four aspects of work that are meaningful. Uh, one, probably the two easiest ones that we've tended towards talking about, but don't always leave us very full, are the idea that one, we're sort of supporting ourselves, our families, and our church that we must work in order to be productive people. And therefore, you know, what I get in sort of a return, I think this is probably the most Western and individualistic of all of our ideas about work. And maybe in some ways, least spiritual, uh, although there's ways of looking at it that I think can, you know, um, broaden it. The second one is the idea that I'm, I'm sort of in the workplace to evangelize people, to give them the good news, to show them the good news, to share the good news. And again, I think that's a very, very important idea, but also when it's limited to that, it still props up this sort of us versus them uh, kind of mentality. I think the two most neglected aspects of what how the Bible sort of frames our work are, one, the idea that we are supposed to grow as people in the workplace, that the workplace is where we spend most of our time, and that God you know, adapts and shapes who we are based on our self-knowledge, based on our interaction with other people, based on our sort of humility and knowing that other people are far better at things than we are and our understanding that there needs to be a variety of people to do what God, you know, wants done. And that's a very, very important one that I think people miss a lot, just how much work really challenges and changes us. And, uh, and that's because it goes back to that active life, contemplative life kind of way of thinking. And then I think the fourth one, which is challenging for some professions and maybe not as much for others, is the idea that God has created us to sort of subdue the earth and produce things uh, in accordance with, you know, good for other people, which the article talks, the third article talks about that, that what I'm doing is good for the world, um, which, you know, if I'm my wife, obviously we can look and see her job is important. It's great. I build trailers for rich white guys so they can hang out on their ATVs off-roading uh, for fun. Like, it, uh, my job's a little harder, generally, to think through, what, how am I, like, benefiting the world here? You know, at least I have ministry to sort of fall back on when I'm feeling like maybe my job's not so great. Um, but even in my job, you know, being a welder is an important job, um, particularly if we ever had, like, a crisis, like 2012, the movie I watched last night, 
where we needed to build Noah's Ark and the Asian guy who was poor was the welder and he was able to get sneak his family and John Cusack's family in. That's important, right? So at some point, my job could be important if we had 2012 um, movie scenario going on. Anyway. Brad, would you sneak all of us onto the boat? I would probably only sneak Asher, just to be completely honest. Um, Not even me? Oh, yeah, you. You and Asher. You and Asher. Was 2012 the horror movie you watched last night? No, no, no. That was a couple nights ago. Uh, 2012 was the dramatic, very realistic, uh, apocalyptic movie that I watched last night. I mean, I just felt like I was watching the pandemic take place. Um, About six to eight years behind all other pop culture relevant uh, references. Okay. So the last one was Uncommon Callings. And this one was definitely a little bit more difficult, I think, to read. But it had this really important point towards the end. And that's the idea that, you know, God's sort of given us three callings. Uh, this highest calling of just general communion with him. And, and going back for a moment, um, vocation has often been professionalized as sort of like, uh, this is my job, my work, um, you know, what I do. And in the past, vocation and calling had a, a, a much greater similarity. And the way that the scripture talks about calling is, is, is very, very simple. It's just, it's like so many other words, um, it, it takes a word that everybody more or less understood in their society and uh, imbues it with a lot of, of spiritual meaning, kingdom uh, meaning. And it was basically just like a, you know, a master of the household, which every household basically had, called someone into their presence and tasked them with something to do, right? So there's a lot of aspects to that. Number one is just the present, being in the presence of the master is a big deal. Because most of the time, the master wouldn't call you in, you know, unless you had something specific or maybe he did a bad thing. Um, you would just sort of have your job and know what to do. But when you were called into the, the you know, master's uh, place, you, you were, were reminded that your job, uh, the meaning of it was to do the master's work. And if your master was reputable, if he was someone who was really good, you loved your master, it was just cool to be able to kind of come before him. We don't have very many uh, analogies of this today. Um, because most of us don't even like our boss, so it's kind of hard. Uh, maybe like in our field, the best person in our field or something being called their presence and then like giving, giving a task might be good. Um, but anyway, so the idea of calling was just being called into his presence. So the article talks about the kind of highest calling is just simply communion with God, spending time in his presence, understanding what he wants from us, and that's really important. The second calling is the idea of these commands and scriptures and sort of, okay, the tasks that I've been, you know, generally given, the sort of principles and rules of the master's households, how do we treat each other, what's expected of all of us. And then the third one is specific calling, sort of like, what am I exactly supposed to be doing? Like, what's my role here? Um, you know, how has the master sort of set me up to do something really specific? And the article just says we basically do a good job of the second one which is our communal calling, but do a terrible job of one in three of really explaining to people what their specific calling is and reminding them that callings start with just being called into God's presence. So for those of you who didn't read it or maybe you read it and you're like, what was that about? That's a really quick synopsis of, of what it is. So let's take five or six minutes and just talk about that. If you have ideas about it, great. But our real question 
or the question that I, I gave you was sort of how does our church, that, that means all of us, do a better job of, um, you know, maturing people or helping them recognize both their specific calling and their sort of highest calling here. Assuming that we do a pretty decent job of the, the sort of middle calling, the communal calling that we're all sort of called to. Or if you have any questions about the distinction, let me know and we can make sense of that as well. So we're answering that question that you posted on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Okay. unless you have questions or thoughts from the actual article. Okay. It's pretty heady, so it's, it's a little bit more difficult and challenging. So I think one of the things that this article made me think about is a conversation I had with a couple of folks who are in their initial jobs. And, um, you know, they were each individually saying, well, the kind of things I'm doing right now are, are not that not that cool or not that fun. Or, and, you know, I just said, well, make it that way. Make it fun. You know, figure out a way to to, you know, make a difference. And and make it something that's challenging and exciting. Um, and I think that it just left me with the feeling that um, it, it just seems in general that people are wanting something to entertain and challenge them versus going into an environment saying, you know, how can I really make a difference and be a light here and trust that, you know, God has blessed me with this job and make the most of it. So that's, one of the things that I tried to leave them with in that conversation is that it's not just about, okay, I have this degree now. I want it to be something really cool and neat that I can get to do. Yeah. And I think that's a good point because um, I just want to say a couple of things. One is it's, it's kind of a two edged sword for millennials and Gen Z in terms of work. People often report them being sort of less good at their work, less committed to their work. But in reality, I think what studies, sociology studies have shown for the most part is that they actually have a very different vision for what their work ought to be. And, the, and their vision is that work ought to contribute to society. And so when they don't have a job that, that sort of does that, it, that idea of just being supported by my job or making money, which was, was kind of an idea that maybe was more popular 20 or 30 years ago, isn't enough for them. So on the one hand, it's a good thing, right? But like what my mom was saying, I think it's so true. We are so stuck on this kind of communal calling that we often don't figure out uh, how the current job that I'm in, it, you know, it is a part of a bigger thing of me learning and growing in my career, not just like, oh, bad job, good job, but actually growing kind of as a person, as someone who just knows sort of how to work and how to work well. Um, yeah, I just off of what you just said, Brad, just something really quick that I thought of. So like right now I'm working at Starbucks until I like start the apprenticeship. And I promise you every time I go into work, I have the most terrible attitude. In fact, I got called out on my attitude yesterday. Um, but it, it was just like this moment where I realized like this, yeah, sure. This is just like a means right now for me to like provide for myself until like my more meaningful work starts later on. But I think I'm learning so much right now. Like, like I always complain about how like I need to relate to, or like I'm having trouble relating to people, but then I'm like, here I am surrounded by a bunch of <laughs> eclectic, interesting people, very, very interesting people. Um, and like, I can learn to relate to them too. Or like, I don't know, like 
I just really had this moment yesterday where I was like, oh my gosh, like, what am I even doing here? Like, just thinking about like how much time I'm wasting as I'm like waiting for the more important stuff later on, because that's more yeah. meaningful because I'm going to be a minister. Like what? Um, also, I didn't mean to say minister like that, but yeah, like it, it's coffee and you know, it's, it's coffee, but like these people have been considered essential and I don't know if any of this is making sense, but like they're awesome. valuable. Yeah. And so awesome. like, I need to, you know, still invest in them and think, that they are also work right in front of me, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think, I think it, guys, the scripture is so encouraging in this aspect because while, um, you know, we can still say that many of us are probably not in the perfect job, vocation that fits our talent, skills, experience, all of that, that there are all kinds of social impediments to getting us into those spots. We're still far, far and above more likely to be in a field that fits us than most the rest of the world that, you know, is kind of in or less developed economies or the people who've historically ever lived. I mean, think about, you know, um, the, the folks in these Bible times and particularly in the Roman Empire who were basically like immigrants coming to the U.S. It doesn't matter if they had a doctor degree somewhere else. They would not be a doctor here. <laughs> they could be, you know, working alongside Michael Scott at a call center. So the idea is that these scriptures about work and about working for God had everything to do and were directed at people who were slaves and servants who had zero choice over their job. Not just like, you know, well, I'm more or less in the situation I'm in. Like they had no choice. And some of them actually did have skills that were, you know, uh, uh, would have lent themselves to better kinds of work than they had. And they were somehow still commanded to, to do this work for God in the context of having no choice. And so if they could have done it and responded to it, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, the goal for us, the bar is set a little bit higher. Yeah, that makes me think of the last article, um, because one of the things it talks about is how that our work or our active life, we're interacting with humans and it drives us in our contemplative life to our knees because we cry out to God saying, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know the best way to interact with these uh, humans in my life and, and to make a difference there and to treat them the way that you want me to treat them. And so, Angel, I think that uh, one of the things that your job at Starbucks is meant to do is to cause you to cry out to God and say, help me. Like, I don't know what to do here. I just need your help. Yes, Leslie, I am now saying help me. I was saying some other things beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> you know me, just a little cheeky. In the chat box. Also, Angel, you are definitely the most eclectic person at your job. <laughs> You're definitely the weirdest one there. Uh, something I really liked was in this, I think it was in the second article when the pastor was like, oh my God, I felt so bad for all these years. I was basically telling uh, my congregation, you know, to on top of the work they're already doing, like give more money, give more time, you know, on top of that work, come be a part of what we're doing in ministry. And I like putting myself in those people's shoes and like, so am I just like a worker beat? supporting your opportunity to actually engage with God and like commune with God and your vocation, but I'm, I don't get to do that in mine. Mm -hmm. 
I like felt that frustration. And I think we, as a church, like we interact so much with our focus ministry and like at UNT and TWU and a lot of those students come in. Well, the ones that come into our church, I've seen often come in with this preconceived idea of like the hierarchy of here are the pastors. They're the ones I go to for my spiritual needs. They're the ones who are doing the work and I'm just sort of being being led by them. Um, and we, I think, have a good opportunity to like break that hierarchy down and be like, nope, this is what, as a maybe as like a focused staff, I do this for 40 hours a week. You do this for 40 hours a week. But together for all of our hours of the week, we're just trying to be as much like Jesus as we can and ministering to everyone that we can. Like nobody has special access to the Holy Spirit because of their job title. Um, and breaking down that expectation of like, okay, I'm a college student. I have to pick my career based on what's the most spiritual or what's going to help me make the most money so that I can then give it to people that are doing the spiritual work. I think that's like a preconceived idea that we have an opportunity to break down. And that's a way we can support people as a church to answer your question. You know, 40 years ago, I wanted to become a minister. This is when I first became a Christian and I was in the ministry for a little while. And I was frustrated because it just seemed like I wanted to go into ministry. But, you know, somebody, uh, uh, the minister told me, he said, you know, Les, you have the skills to be able to support ministry wherever you go in the world. And God is giving you these skills so that, and I have gone to many places, um, different ministries, and I have supported those ministries because of my, my job, my career. And one thing it just reminds me of is that even though I was frustrated about that, I realized that, you know, the Bible says do everything for you or do everything as if you're working for the Lord. And I'd realize that no matter what I'm doing, what I'm doing is supporting the ministry, whatever the job might be. And I've had all kinds of jobs. I've had all kinds of bad jobs, good paying jobs, bad paying jobs. Um, but I've always kept it in my forethought that what I'm doing here is helping others uh, support the ministry, helping the church, helping others in need of different things. And that's an important thing. And I think that's what the Bible teaches us is that no matter what you're doing, you're doing it for the kingdom. And it might not be the greatest job in the world. You might not be happy in it, but you should be happy in that God has given you the talent and the ability of whatever you're doing at that point in time to do his work and to help others as much as you can. Yeah. And that can bring great satisfaction if you really realize work is not about filling your particular needs all the time. It's not about you. It's not what brings you joy and happiness all the time. Um, what it is, it's about God and how he's using you and how you can use it to support his purposes. And that's the lesson I've had to learn for a long, long time. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Anybody else uh, before we close? Well, I have something. Um, I don't know if it's ever talked about, but just the thought process of leaving a job. Because in the past, like I've I've left a job feeling really bad. If whether like my intentions were really selfish, or like was I not able to like handle 
like the work dynamic better if i would handle the work dynamic better um yeah just kind of like thinking through those things in terms of like um yeah that like the calling like am i am i leaving my calling like was god calling me to stay at this job um yeah things like that like it's just something that i've been thinking about lately yeah like, yeah i think those are you know it's the same thing that we do in in leaving churches or relationships or things like that you've got to have a lot of of advice and counseling and and just searching uh, God to figure out, you know, what are my intentions in this? You know, jobs more than anything, we have pretty, we can get pretty negative emotions towards, and then you know, leave them prematurely simply because we um, didn't like what we were doing, and then the, the process just sort of repeats itself, right? You know, because we take those same emotions to the next place until we finally grown out of them and learn to deal with them. So I think the advice part of that's pretty difficult. Are, are pretty important in, in those difficult times. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there's, we live in a, a world where workplaces, particularly in American workplaces, are just dry of all spiritual stuff uh, and even emotional stuff sometimes. Workplaces can be just very individualistic, competitive, um, and, um, you know, sort of the bottom line is the most important uh, thing. Or they can be little uh, kingdoms where someone's in charge and their personality is in charge and no one can do anything about it. So they're they're challenging, and uh, and so I think that uh, you know one of the real blessings that we have from God is that we have the ability to move uh, in our kind of state um, where others you know didn't have the, that ability at all. Uh, but I think there's tendencies that we we can kind of get into um, as people sort of watch us. You know, if I move from one job every six months to the next, and it's kind of like each one is worse or than the other, then there's a tendency there. People can kind of help us see that we may have justified in our own mind was, oh, each of these jobs is really bad. Um, so I think that's where a lot of guidance comes in. Anything else, guys, before we finish up? Well, cool. Well, hopefully this was helpful. And if you didn't read, uh, you know, go back and read uh, those. And if you did read and want to kind of think more about maybe how to apply some of this to your job in particular, I think that could be uh, could be very helpful. So we've got the I'll post here just in a moment, the Liturgist podcast link. That's about 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes. And just listen to that and I'll give you some questions. And we'll talk this uh, this next week on worship and emotions. I really enjoyed this discussion today. I hope you guys did too. Um, we'll do it again in a week. In the way of reminding, remember the, the shower on the 23rd, and we've got the finance seminar 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 on the um, the 31st at uh, 2:30. So those are both two big big deals. And then um, you know, send us a video. Say hi. Give us an encouragement. Maybe a work encouragement this week or a worship encouragement this week. Uh, and uh, we'll post those before church and uh, send those to Sean or Sean. Who else can we send them to? I've already forgotten. Nope. Sean's wake up, Sean. Get off the couch. Wake up. Manny. Manny. Manny or Sean. Excellent. Uh, yeah. I was going to sleep. Oh, uh, yeah. Whatever. All right, guys. As always, we'll keep the room up if you want to talk or hang out, do whatever. Uh, for those of you who, uh, who need to leave, you know, we shall see you later. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. 
And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.